You're listening to What's New with Wired. This episode is brought to you by ShipStation. You know, some things take a lot of work, like sending little robots to far-off distant planets. And just as that's challenging, so too is running a successful e-commerce business, especially when there's so much to do. So I want to introduce you all to ShipStation. Now, I love using ShipStation because of its easy-to-use dashboard, which makes managing orders and printing labels a breeze and super smooth. Oh, and the customer service is just out of this world. It's exactly what you need to help grow your business. Sign up for your free 60-day trial at ShipStation.com slash technews. That's ShipStation.com slash technews. This podcast is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Each episode features insight you won't find anywhere else from the center of the conversation surrounding emerging technologies like AI. Right now on the podcast, you can hear a special episode where Brad Smith lays out Microsoft's vision for a vibrant marketplace driving the new AI economy. To hear more, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to What's New with Wired. It's Thursday, January 6th. Today we're talking about the Swiss forensic geneticists who analyzed DNA from postage stamps dating back to World War I and solved a century-old puzzle. Before we get into today's top story, remember to check out our other Wired podcasts. Today in Wired Science, a clean industrial revolution is the only way to hit net zero. Bill Gates wrote about how governments and companies around the world are finally acting to create a green economy and avoid climate catastrophe. And on Wired Security, thanks to a vulnerability in Log4j, multitudes of servers around the world were suddenly exposed to relatively simple attacks. The first wave of hacking is well underway, but it's what comes next that should worry you. Listen to these stories and more at wired.com slash podcasts. In 1885, Xaver, a young Austrian blacksmith, left home to make it big. After finding a new job abroad, Xaver, a Gentile, fell in love with Dina, the 17-year-old Catholic Jewish daughter of his boss. He was subsequently fired, but that was just the beginning of his family drama. Dina ran away from home to be with Xaver and found lodging and work in the home of Ron, a 30-year-old Jewish factory owner. In 1887, she gave birth to a son named Rince, believed to be fathered by Ron. Rince received Jewish rituals and was baptized in a Catholic church. But Dina and Xaver remained together, and after Xaver had achieved some success in his career, the two married in 1889. Xaver acknowledged the then one-and-a-half-year-old Rance was his stepson, and Ron lent support to the family. Xaver and Dina went on to have three more children, including a son named Arliss. During World War II, Rance's full Jewish ancestry was kept a secret, while he and his relations lived in fear of being deported to the concentration camps. The secret of his paternity was maintained publicly for years, but among the family, the true identity of Rance's father was passed down from generation to generation. Fast forward to May 2017, when Cordula Haas, a forensic geneticist at the University of Zurich, Switzerland, was approached with an unusual request. Rents and Arliss's descendants wanted to verify that Ron was indeed Rents's true father. The family offered up cheek swabs from living descendants of Dina, Rents, and Arliss for DNA analysis, and at the prompting of Haas, some postcards that had been sent by Rents and Ron that might hold their DNA in the remnants of the saliva used to paste the stamps. 
Solving kinship cases is a common task in forensic genetics, but this case was a little more complex than Haas was used to. For a year and a half, she and her team tried to confirm the story to no avail. By October 2018, they had thrown in the towel, but then, in March 2020, the family returned, this time with more heirlooms. They had found some more old postcards that had been sent by Arliss on a business tour in 1922. The scientists compared the DNA found under these cards' stamps with the DNA found on postcards sent by Rince while he was fighting in World War I and on post-war trips. They found common Y-chromosomal lineage, which meant that the two brothers shared the same father. After more than a century, the family had an end to their paternity drama. Xaver, not Ron, was Rince's dad. With the consent of the family, Haas and her colleagues detailed their investigation in a paper published this month in the journal Forensic Science International. All the names were changed at the request of the family. And while it might seem like no more than an amusing end to a family mystery, extracting centuries-old DNA from artifacts, a licked envelope flap, hair from an old brush, was once considered the next big thing in genetic genealogy. Its promise lies in offering anybody the opportunity to gain precious insights into long-deceased ancestors and loved ones, to look further back into their family tree, and to potentially reunite with existing relatives. Everybody within a family archive also has a DNA archive, says Martin Larmuseau, a forensic geneticist at the University of Leuven, Belgium. These can help people answer profound questions about their family history, he says, and that is very, very cool. Although Haas did her work for research purposes, private companies have been trying to get in on the hustle. MyHeritage, the DNA testing company, announced in 2018 that it would be jumping into the business of commercial artifact testing. An Australian company, To The Letter DNA, was founded in 2018 to offer DNA testing of artifacts from your past loved ones to enhance your genealogical research for a cost of over $2,000. But what was once envisioned as an explosion in artifact testing has petered into more of a slow burn. A number of factors have prevented it from becoming as big as commercial DNA test kits. It's costly. It involves tampering with or destroying potentially sentimental family heirlooms. And there is little guarantee that it will be successful. For example, when relying on DNA extracted from saliva, you're taking a gamble that the sender was the one who licked the envelope flap or the stamp which is not always the case. An old practice was to wet stamps on common pads at post offices. The running joke in my lab is that if we check all these stamps, you will see that all the children are in fact children of postmen, says Larmuso. Rather, the practice might turn out to be more useful to answer predetermined specific questions, such as in the case of Rance and Arliss's family mystery, or to solve cold cases, and it might have an expiry date. The invention of self-adhesive stamps means that using saliva to stick a stamp is a dying practice after all. As genetic genealogy is increasingly being used to unravel family mysteries, it also opens up a big can of worms. For one, don't the dead deserve some privacy? The deceased, due to their complicated circumstances, can never give consent to the testing. The notion that you can take the DNA of someone who lived in a time before cars, who could never have even anticipated the notion that their private life or their private relationships or their children born out of a relationship outside their marriage could have been discovered in this way. That's stunning, says Libby Copeland, a journalist and author of the book The Lost Family, How DNA Testing is Upending Who We Are. You can uncover all sorts of stories that people would not have wanted to come to light. 
While in this case genetic testing was able to disprove a family scandal, the lion's share of how this is playing out is the reverse, says Copeland. For her book, Copeland interviewed people who discovered something shocking about their own family through using commercial DNA testing kits and how they had to deal with the gravity of that knowledge, which included affairs, incest, and surprises about their ethnicity. Yes, you could find a cousin you never knew about, but you could also accidentally dig up dirt on your great-aunt's secret romance. Copeland realized that through the popularization of these cheap spit kits, the world is in the midst of a big social experiment with potentially devastating repercussions. The people who discover their own genetic origins aren't what they thought are often traumatized by it, she says. It's incredibly painful, it's dislocating, and basically their personal narratives are completely disrupted. Larmusot shares Copeland's concerns about unearthing family secrets. Even after so many years, you can really have a huge privacy issue and an impact on descendants today, he says. He had his own ethical quandary on his hands a few years ago when he played a role in solving the mysterious death of a Belgian royal. In 1934, King Albert I, the third king of the Belgians, died under mysterious circumstances after supposedly falling off a rock while exercising. With no witnesses to the accident, his death bred many conspiracy theories that he had been murdered, that the accident was staged. Using blood-stained leaves that had been collected from the scene, Larmuseau and his colleagues compared it with the DNA of two of the king's living relatives and discovered that the blood indeed belonged to Albert I, contradicting the more sinister rumors surrounding his death. Larmuseau's investigation stopped there, but if he had chosen to dig deeper, he could have, in theory, revealed information about the king's genetics that might compromise the privacy of the current Belgian royal family. For example, if he had found genetic mutations associated with certain inheritable diseases, it would have revealed that Albert I's descendants could carry the same mutation. Ethically, my impression was I didn't have the right to do it, he says. But something similar has already occurred elsewhere. Two years after the bones of King Richard III were found under a car park in Leicester, England, a genetic analysis of his remains unearthed some doubts about the legitimacy of other members of the royal family. The practice of artifact testing is largely unregulated, a sort of wild west. Theoretically, you could purchase the used hairbrush of a deceased celebrity on eBay, pay someone to extract the DNA, and dredge some serious private skeletons from their closet. There are absolutely no rules about it, says Larmusso. This whole idea that you can go back and answer questions about the past that was previously a black box is mind-blowing, says Copeland. But just because you can dig through the past doesn't mean you'll like what you learn. What if you don't even know what you're going to find? And what you find is too much for you to bear, and then you can't unknow it, she asks. And then on the other hand, it's like, God, it's so cool that we live in this moment where we can crack open your cells and get all these questions answered, or crack open the cells from someone else that were on the same object, like a hairbrush. Haas said the family was surprised by their findings, but were ultimately glad to know. She laments that nobody knew of Rentz's true ancestry while he lived under the Nazi regime. At that time, she says, it would have made their life easier. Thanks for listening to Wired. Check back in tomorrow to hear more stories from Wired.com. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. 
you'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.